Thank you, Steve. Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service now. So as we open our Bibles, let's also open with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the lessons you're teaching us from the book of Acts. And uh, we're inspired by the early New Testament church, how they dealt with some of the persecution that they faced. We know that we have to deal sometimes with persecution in our own lives as well. So help us to further learn some lessons here as to how the Holy Spirit worked through them and how the Holy Spirit works through us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 6. We're kind of taking a journey here, reading about some of the experiences of the early New Testament church. A couple of weeks ago, we learned about the first miracle that was performed after Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to guide and direct the church. Last week, we learned about the attack on the part of Satan on the church with the story of Ananias and Sapphira and how God dealt with that. Today we're going to study Stephen, the first martyr. Stephen, a man named Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church. Martyr, M-A-R-T-Y-R, means a person who voluntarily suffers death as a penalty of witnessing to and refusing to renounce their religion. So that's what a martyr is. And Stephen faced that challenge in his life, and we'll read a little bit about his story today and what lessons we can learn from it. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. The church was being persecuted once again and attacked by Satan. Division was starting to happen in the church, and it had to do with how the widows were being taken care of. Now, as the church was growing, there were different cultural groups that were being, being a part of the church. Of course, it all started out with people coming out of Judaism into Christianity. But now, other Jews who had come from foreign countries, mostly the Greek world, the Gentile uh, Greek world, uh, they were now Christians too. And of all the Christians dwelling around Jerusalem, the Jewish widows were being taken better care of than the Grecian widows. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us, the apostles, to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables Brothers, choose seven men from among you who, uh, you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose these men. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So you notice that all of these men have Greek names. So they have been appointed now to watch over the Grecian widows to make sure that they're taken care of in the proper way. So they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 
So of these men, we're going to focus now on Stephen. And notice how Stephen is described in verse 3. It says that they're full of the Spirit and wisdom. In verse 5, it mentions Stephen as being full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, it says, uh, full of grace and power. So he is certainly a a well-equipped man, a gifted man, a capable man. And it says here in verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So we would think that these men were chosen to be kind of like deacons, and so they were. But Stephen seems to really be a standout type of guy. He's able to perform miracles by the power of God, great wonders. Opposition, however, arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, these men began to argue with Stephen. So Stephen begins to preach as well and teach people, and these individuals have a bone to pick with him. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then, verse 11, they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So notice Stephen's situation is very similar to Jesus' situation. Because Jesus was a man that they could not find fault in. But yet they hired certain uh, individuals who spread lies about him, who uh, made up accusations against Jesus, and so they're doing the same thing against Stephen. Verse 12, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now what is Stephen preaching? Well, he's basically preaching the same things that Jesus preached. And what was it that Jesus preached? Jesus said that he himself was God's new temple replacing the old. So in other words, when Jesus preached during his earthly ministry, he was taking the emphasis away from the temple in Jerusalem and putting it on himself. He once said in Matthew 12, verse 6, Matthew 12, 6, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here, referring to himself. Now, the temple in Jerusalem, which, as you all should know, doesn't exist anymore, was something that the Jews held in the highest esteem because they felt that in that building, that was the place where God dwelt. And as long as they had the temple, they had God. In a sense, they had God kind of closed up in this box 
they had control of him. He was there. He was in Jerusalem. He wasn't going to leave as long as the temple was there. So they held the temple in highest esteem. And if you ever said anything against the temple or took away from the focus of the temple or the importance of the temple, uh, the Jews got very upset. The temple doesn't exist anymore. It was finally once and for all destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. And, you know, you see pictures today of what they call the holy place or the temple mount. It's just pretty much a flat area of ground. It's got one Muslim building on it. It's a mosque with a gold dome. You've probably seen pictures of that. The Muslims put, uh, put that up. But as far as that place, it's probably the most controversial uh, area of ground on the face of the earth today. So all the Jews have is a portion of a wall that was not part of the temple, but it was, it was kind of a, a retaining wall off to the side. And it's called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. And sometimes you'll see pictures or videos of Jewish uh, men, uh, predominantly, who go up to this wall and they stand before it and they're bowing like this and they're praying and sometimes they put little scraps of scripture in the cracks of the wall. Th that shows you how and how much esteem the Jews hold any remnant of the temple. And that's just part of an outside wall that wasn't even actually part of the temple. That's all that they have and they still hold that in high esteem. But can you imagine the way they felt about the building itself? But the building was destroyed. God allowed it to be destroyed. Uh, in fact, it was destroyed on more than one occasion. It was destroyed by the Babylonians in 585 BC. Then it was rebuilt 70 years later and then really refined and made splendid by Herod just prior to Jesus' birth. But then finally, after Jesus was rejected by the Jews, crucified by the Jews, and now we see what the Jews are doing to Stephen, finally in 70 AD, God had had enough. And he allowed the Roman armies to, to march in, to hold the city uh, captive for about four years. And finally, they destroyed every bit of the temple. And along with it, a little over a million inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem were killed, slaughtered. But you have to understand the reverence that they had for that building at the time. So anybody who said anything that took a focus away from the temple, they were suspected of perhaps being treasonous or something like that. But Stephen is only saying the same thing that Jesus taught. Uh, you no longer have to go to a temple to find God. That's what Jesus was saying. Remember, he said the day is coming when, you know, people are no longer going to come to Jerusalem to, to worship God. They're going to worship him in spirit and truth. And we enjoy that today, that relationship with God. We don't have to go to Jerusalem to find God. God is actually in us today. Okay, God is everywhere. We realize that there's no building that we have to hold in high esteem because God dwells there. And I think God went out of his way to allow that building to be torn down so people would get the point. But the people are just reacting against Stephen's teaching. What Jesus was teaching was you don't have to go to a temple to find God. 
Jesus was saying, you have to come to me to find God. Remember, he said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. So that's what upset the Jews so much about Jesus. He was taking the importance of the temple away from them. And they liked to hang on to a physical building. And they felt that they had God on their side as long as that building stood. So this is what uh, Stephen is being accused of. Defiling the temple, speaking against the temple, taking the focus away from the temple. And the people are getting very upset about that. Now, another thing that Jesus taught, and Stephen is going to talk a little bit about this too, is the importance of the law. Those two things were of vital importance to the Jews of Jesus' day, the temple and the law. And when I say the law, I mean the Torah. Everything from the sacrificial system to all the, the rules of clean and uncleanness. And yeah, the Ten Commandments are in there too. But they felt that the law was the second most important thing besides the temple. Now, how did Jesus feel about the law? Well, he said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus taught you know, that he came to keep the law perfectly so that salvation can come through him. And we fail when we try to keep the law, as all the Jews did as well. So Jesus took the importance off of the law. The law was superseded because it focused on our ability to obey rather than on God's grace and mercy. The law was fulfilled in Jesus. So when it comes to salvation today, how are we saved? Are we saved by our keeping of the law? No, thank you. We're not. We're saved by grace. And thank God for that. But the Jews back in Jesus' day felt that their keeping of the law was what got them saved, was what pleased God. And Stephen, too, is preaching the same way Jesus preached, that the law is not the most important thing. The law was superseded by Jesus Christ. Now we are saved not by law, but by grace and by Jesus' death on the cross. So we see there's still opposition to this teaching. And this is what, what we feel today. And still, you know, people are confused sometimes uh, when they hear that we don't put a lot of importance on a temple in Jerusalem. Let me say this. There are some preachers on TV who specialize, they feel, in prophecy, and they talk about another temple being built in Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, and I don't agree with that, but they feel that when Jesus returns, he's got to return to a temple, so Jews in Jerusalem are you know, interested in building some other sort of building to serve as a temple so that the Messiah can come and return to it. I don't believe that that's true. I don't believe that Jesus is going to come to a building when he returns. We are his temple. He's going to come to the church when he returns. And certain groups and Jewish groups are asking for donations. Help us to build this building in Jerusalem. Help us to, to build uh, the next temple so that the Messiah can come. Uh, don't believe that. 
Jesus is not, is not going to return to a building. He has changed his approach to totally. He no longer dwells in a building. He dwells in his believers. The church is the temple of God. Uh, you might remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verses 16 and 17. I'll go ahead and turn there right now. The days of a physical building to house God are gone. God has changed that. That's what we believe. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. So you, you get the comparison. Back in these days, God dwelt in a building, in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. That building's gone. God now dwells in his temple, who is believers, Christians. And you see, God's not limited to one place because he dwells in you, and he dwells in you, and he dwells in you, and he dwells in me. God is not limited anymore. So you don't go one place to find God. Once you become a believer, God dwells in you. So keep that point in mind. And when it comes to the law in a similar way, the Bible teaches us that we're no longer under law. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So I'm kind of doing a little preaching like Stephen did and like Jesus did, showing how things have changed. We no longer look to tablets of stone with God's law carved into it. Prophecy said that he was going to write his law on our hearts. That's where God's law is. And notice it says in Romans 4, beginning in verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather discovered in this matter? Romans 8, verse 1, rather. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the